Welcome to the Faith That Works in Real Life podcast of Messiah Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We invite you to subscribe to Faith That Works in Real Life on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I, I, uh, I can just share, um, this, this weekend has a lot of um, memories for me. Um, one in particular, in 2005, I was, I was on my internship, and um, I preached uh, maybe a few weeks ago in, in October, right? and it was my first sermon uh, in my internship. I was at Lutheran Church of the Holy Spirit in Chicago, and um, um, it, was, it was an all, a predominantly black congregation. And, um, you know, they did the liturgy a little bit different. It sounded a little bit, they had the drums in the liturgy, and, and the pace and the music was, was a little bit different. And, and occasionally people would shout amen, and every once in a while people would get up in the aisle and dance. So it wasn't our typical Lutheran church that we might be accustomed to. Just saying, all right? Anyway, I, I did this first sermon. Uh, it was about 35 minutes long. Yeah, the requirement for me was at least 30 minutes, 30 minutes, okay? And anyway, um, my, my supervising pastor said, lovingly said, Tim, that, was, that wasn't that great. <laughs> like, oh. So, um, so I felt like, I mean, there was a lot of pressure, right, pressure. I never really kind of preached in that environment before, and so... I went to, went to work, and uh, on Sunday, November 13th of 2005, I preached my second sermon, and it was this text that we have today. And I, and I, I think it's funny. I mean, so I came up with something that I thought was, was pretty, pretty, pretty good. And, you know, I'm preaching along, and people are getting into it, and some people are shouting, amen, right? And then the drums are kind of doom, doom, hitting some stuff, and the keyboard hits the music, and I'm like, I'm feeling good, Right? It's good. I'm, you know, I'm kind of throwing my papers around, and everybody's getting right. And you know, the music's getting louder. Everybody's up clapping. It was, it, it was a good day. I'm like, I'm like, I'm going out there. So I left the pulpit, left my notes. I get down there. I'm fired up. Like, yeah, and everybody's clapping, right? And I'm coming to my point, the main point I kind of want to say, and. Um, <clears throat> All of a sudden, I, I look right into the supervising pastor's wife, Miss Grady. And Miss um, Grady's a Jesus-loving person, a God-loving person, right? And, and the kids were, like, scared of her. Like, you know, Miss Grady says, um, you straighten right up, right? So, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm preaching, and I'm going to say something. And, and so, my, my, so I just spit out. I said, God wants you to be fat. And I looked right at her. Right? She's like, right? And it's like time stopped. Time stopped, right? I was like, do I run? How far could I get? I just failed internship. And then I had just enough thought to say, God wants you to be faithful, accountable, and trustworthy. God wants you to be fat, and then it was okay. Everybody started clapping, and we're saying, hallelujahs, and uh, that's the only time I've been in church where I've heard people say, I want to be fat, I want to be fat. 
That, <laughs> I lost the notes, thankfully for you all. Um, but I just, that, this is a, a historical, this reminds me of, of that sermon. This was my second sermon on internship. It was this text that we're going to preach today. It's the Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 25th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. All right, it's a long one, so bear with me here. Jesus says to the disciples, For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once, traded with them, and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid the master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. The master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with two talents also came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. The master said to him, well done. Good and trustworthy slave, you have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest? So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But those who have nothing, even what they have, will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him out, excuse me, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I long 
to be his possession. Oh, he's my everything. After the lightning and thunder, after the last bell has rung, I want to bow down before him and hear him say, well done. Oh, he is my reason for living. Oh, he's the king of all kings. I long to be his possession. Oh, he's my I long to be his possession. Oh, he's my everything. Gracious God, we are yours because you claim us. We are loved because you have loved us first. As we proclaim you to be our everything, help us to risk our love for others for your sake. Now be my word so that they may edify and enlighten the hearts of the hearers with the good news of your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the theme is not going to be fat. This is a, um, one of those difficult passages again. Pastor Brian tackled one last week with the, the oil and the lamps, the, the foolish and the, the wise bridesmaids. I think our text needs some clarification as well. And so I just kind of real quickly want to touch base on some of the things in our text, right? It begins, a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. Now, I don't think that's the best translation for that word, entrusted. The Greek word is paradidomi. It means, usually it means to give over or to hand over or to give up control of something. And so when the, the owner gives these talents to the servants, the question that we have to wrestle with then is, whose is it? Does it become theirs? Is it given to them to keep? Or 
are they just stewards of it? Are they just watching over it? Now, I'm inclined to think that the, the talents, this money that the owner gives the servants, actually becomes their property. But I'll come back to that later. But the next question I have is, what's a talent? What's a talent? The text says, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Now, I think it's confusing because we often talk about talents as a way to refer to someone's abilities and skills. Uh, Owen and Elena and the worship team singing, or Pastor Brian singing and preaching, they have talents and abilities. But in this text, a talent refers to a very large sum of money, right? A talent was probably anywhere between 75 to 100 pounds of silver. And it would take nearly 20 years of wages to equal a talent. Put that in your mind. Get your math going. Where's Steve at, right? 20 years, you know, if you had... had, um, $10 an hour at 40 hours a week times 52 weeks times 20 years. You're probably somewhere in the vicinity of $400,000. That's one talent. So the master, this owner, was very generous to these servants. Even to the person that got one talent, they got $400,000. And the other person had two talents. And the other person had five talents. A hundred years of wages. And then each one is given according to his or her ability. Right? The Greek word for ability is dunamis. It means power. Usually it's translated as power. Think of dynamite or dynamo. according to his or her ability. So I'm going to leave it at that to keep it simple. All right, so you're with me? A man is going on a journey, gives talents or lots of money to his servants according to their abilities. There are no further instructions. There are no additional details about what these servants are to do with these talents. But then Jesus tells us, The servants who receive five talents and two talents respectively go and invest them and double their gifts. And the owner eventually praises them, praises their accomplishment. Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. It's a great story. An owner gives wealth to the servants, and they make positive strides with the gift. It's going great until we get to the third servant. Faith That Works in Real Life is being brought to you by Messiah Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. You can find out more about Messiah Lutheran Church by visiting messiahlc.com. And there the story unravels. Suddenly it becomes messy. 
And now we're scratching our heads and we're trying to figure out what is Jesus really up to here? What is Jesus telling us? The third servant says, I was afraid, so I buried the money. But here it is, every cent that you gave me. Now, if you grew up anywhere near the Great Depression, I won't look at any names or look at anybody specifically. Now, if you grew up anywhere near the Great Depression, this action makes sense, doesn't it? If you know someone that lived through the Great Depression, this makes sense, right? They, uh, they are the most frugal people of all people when it comes to money. And I, I'm being completely honest here. This is not uh, any, any jest whatsoever. People connected to the Great Depression uh, hid money, didn't they? In mattresses and floorboards and walls and ceilings all over the place. Books. And when people died, sometimes you go in the house and you would find cash. Because they hid money. They did not trust banks. So bearing a talent of money makes sense. As it did to the people in the first century. But the clue for us is the servant says, I was afraid. This servant didn't want to lose any of the money and so did not risk any type of investment. Now, this type of risk is about uh, an investment in, in something bigger than the servant. It's about commitment to someone other than the servant. But clearly, this servant was not interested in the owner's cause or advantage, but rather in saving his or her own behind. One who cannot risk his or her own self cannot take risks for the Lord either. The servant was judged according to the conduct. What was given was taken away. Jesus said in Matthew 16, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. That's what the servant was trying to do. When God asks us to invest, God doesn't ask us to invest our lives into shady ventures, but into worthy and necessary relationships that feed us that nourish us, and that bear us fruit throughout our lives that will benefit not only us, but others as well. We don't all have to invest in the same way, but we can. The opportunities that God makes us aware of, we can invest in those. So the problem in the parable doesn't come up with which investment to choose. He didn't call Steve Van Weingarten and say, hey, Steve, where should I put this money at? But instead, the servant who fears investing it all, right, reasons it's better to keep what he has to himself and guard it out of fear 
of being hurt. Friends, this is the root of all fear, that somehow we will be hurt. Somehow we will lose our sense of security or freedom, or somehow we will fail. That's what most people are afraid of. There's a term for that. It's called scarcity mindset. Anybody ever heard that? Scarcity mindset. It's a real thing. If you go to Cleveland Clinic's website, look up scarcity mindset. According to the Cleveland Clinic, a scarcity mindset is on outlook, excuse me, is an outlook on life that focuses on a lack of resources, which must be conserved and used strategically. A scarcity mindset may develop because of financial trauma, like a depression, poverty, or societal expectations. People with a scarcity mindset are likely to become extremely possessive or stingy or selfish to protect their belongings. And in doing so, they experience more anxiety. It can stem from lots of things. But it isn't always about finances. It's often applied to other parts of our lives. Who hasn't stayed up all night sometimes wondering about, what should I do, A, B, or C? Examples of scarcity mindset besides finances include body weight and image. People starve themselves to not eat something because they know it's bad for them. But the stress of it becomes so bad that they end up overindulging in it and blow the whole purpose for the diet anyway. Anybody ever done that? Time. Time is another thing. The loss of time in our day or in our week, the must-dos and must that we have to get done. The years go by and, and we start fixating on the time that has passed and what we haven't got done yet. And we go into a scarcity mindset or we experience a midlife crisis. Work, parenthood, worrying about the future, unrealistic views of the world, societal expectations. When it comes to the concept of scarcity, societal expectations are especially influential in how a person perceives the availability of resources. In fact, socially enforced beliefs, it says, such as those related to one's appearance, career, and wealth, can, pay, can make people feel a constant need to strive for more in order to be accepted and successful. This is the root of all fear, this scarcity mindset that somehow we will be hurt, somehow we will lose our security, somehow we might fail. And see, this fear of failure can undermine all our relationships, our business dealings, and our personal wellness. It can affect our parenting, and certainly it affects churches. Churches right now are battling scarcity mindset. 
However, what you do not invest in can never grow, can never love, it can never flourish, and it can never help anyone but yourself. My friends, that's the opposite of what a Christian is called to be and to do. The only things I know that overcome fear are love and forgiveness. Those are the only things, two things that I know overcome fear, not even success. Because all success does is make you thirst for more. And then you pursue more success and more success and more success. When does it stop? Does it stop? But when we are loved, when we are forgiven, we have nothing to fear except maybe the occasion of not being loved back. Thirty-four years ago, on this day, I landed in jail for armed robbery. My hair was all black. I had more on my head. I weighed 140 pounds. Now, I want to be very clear. This is never about me. The only reason I'm standing here before you today is because I was loved. There's no, it's not because of what I did. I didn't do anything miraculous. I was loved over and over and over again. It's not because I turned my life around. It's because the people that loved me gave me chance after chance after chance. You know, that's what we want to say about people. We hope, I just hope they'll turn their life around. They can't do it by themselves. It takes love. It takes the risk of loving and them letting you down. Oftentimes, over and over and over again. Because it usually doesn't work the first time. I can pretty much vouch for that. Listen to 1 Corinthians. I've shared this before. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. This is from the message. Let's just listen. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for oneself. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. You can't make people do it. It isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others 
grovel. It doesn't revel when others are down. It puts up with anything. Trust God always, always looks for the best, never looks back. And it keeps going to the end. I guess all I'm trying to say is, is that if you think about this story that we have today, too oftentimes the talents and our abilities and all those things get in the way, but it's what the owner gives to the servants that matters. And I, the only, the most precious thing that God gives to us is love and forgiveness. Now, you can live it and share it with others, and I guarantee you, you will experience more joy than you can imagine. But if you bury it, and if you're not willing to risk your love and your forgiveness for other people, you will lose it. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose or risk their life, their love, their forgiveness for his sake will find it. My friends, to be a Christian doesn't mean to be fearless. It means to love. It means to risk. It means to risk our love and our kindness even if they don't give it back. You know how we know? The cross. There's not a dang thing you can do to earn what God has given you. So why would we make other people earn it? It's God's love. Share it. Live it. Enjoy it. Risk it. Because God already risked it all for you. All of it. His life. Let's close with a prayer. Dear God, thank you for the ways in which you speak. I don't know if my words make any sense, but hopefully your spirit will do what it needs to do today. And then everybody here who listened, heard what they needed to hear for this moment. Most importantly, help us to be reminded how much you love us. And that your most deepest desire for us is to share that love. Give us the courage to take a risk, even if we fail. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I'm Elena, and that brings us to the end of this episode. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to come back next week for more insights on faith that works in real life. We invite you to subscribe to Faith That Works in Real Life on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Faith That Works in Real Life is created and produced by Messiah Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. If you would like to reach us for any reason, we can be found at messiahlc.com. Messiah Lutheran Church exists to forever change lives through the gospel of Jesus by becoming an equipping, empowering, and mobilizing church in our community that displays the love of Christ and connects with people of all walks of life through worship, communion, service, fellowship, and compassion, led by the Holy Spirit and focused on the Great Commission. Please follow us on social media.